So welcome to Mile City. We are so glad that you've joined us today online and we hope that you're having a great day and we hope that you're able to hear what God has to say to you from Scripture today. And we're excited because we're wrapping up our series, Mark on Rewind. For the last nine weeks, we've been looking at the book of Mark from backwards to front. So we started at the end and now we're here in week 10 and we're in chapter 1. And what we've tried to do is look at the book through the lens of the resurrection of Christ because at the end of Mark, Jesus dies, is buried, and rises again. And seeing how that affected the characters that we've seen. And and Mark is a great book. The fun thing about Mark is he was more about what Jesus did than what he said. Over half the miracles uh, that Jesus performed are found in the book of Mark. And miracles are fun to talk about. We've talked about a lot in this series. We've talked about uh, walking on water. We've talked about Jesus feeding thousands of people with just small amounts of food. We've talked about him healing the blind and the lame and the sick, even raising people from the dead. And he's been able to cast out demons. And we, we look at all these miracles that we've performed. And the book of Mark just points these things out time and time again. Because the reason he did that was the people he was writing to, the Romans, the Gentiles, they weren't so worried about who Jesus was. They wanted to know what Jesus did. And that's why you don't find the genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of Mark. He just jumps right into the life of Christ. And the reason he did that is he wanted to show what Jesus did because Jesus came to serve. He gave his life a ransom for many, and so he wants the Roman crowd, he wants the Gentiles to understand that Jesus came to give his life for them. And what he did by showing that Jesus was a servant was so counterculture of what the society that the Romans had in that day. They lived for pleasure. They lived for things that made them happy. Anything that they could find that made themselves happy was what they were all about. They wanted the pleasures of life. They didn't care how it affected others. They just were worried about how things affected them. And really, when we look at that culture, it's quite similar to the culture we live in today. I mean, think about it. We live in a culture. We live in a society that it's all about us. We want to live our lives for ourselves. And we see people all around us living this cycle of trying to find happiness in different things. Maybe it's somebody or something. Maybe it's a new house or a new car or a new wardrobe or a new job or a new neighborhood or a new school. But we're always trying to find something that's going to bring us happiness and contentment. And all those things, they might work for a small amount of time. See, I find that in my life sometimes. I am all about new shoes. I love new shoes. You show me a new pair of Nike Air Maxes, and man, I get giddy inside about them. And some of you listening might say, that's the most ridiculous thing I've heard. I'm wearing the same pair of shoes that I've had for the last 10 years, and when I get a new pair, it's going to look exactly the same as my last pair. But the problem that I have with these things is when I get a new pair of shoes, I want them to stay looking new. And once they don't, that newness wears off and that happiness wears off. And now I'm on to the next one. Just this past week, I was showing my wife a pair of shoes online, asking if I could get them. And she said, told me, no, I just got new ones a few weeks ago. 
And we, a lot of us, we, we look for that. It might not be in shoes, but we look for that happiness in things. And, and we look for things that are going to make us happy. And our culture feeds into us. It constantly bombards us with finding things to make us happy. If you watch any amount of TV or if you drive down the road and see the billboards, you know that everything is advertising things that will supposedly make us happy, will supposedly give us purpose, will supposedly bring us joy. And in the Christian world, we see that dripping into that. We see um, there's so many self-help books out there of how to be a better person and being the person that you've always meant to be. There's so many personality tests out there that it's nauseating. And we, we try to find what we're made for, what we're supposed to be. And so we keep looking and looking and looking and taking more tests after more tests. And there's so many letters and so many numbers and so many uh, characters that we are now that we get confused with all the personality tests that we've taken. But let's be honest, who doesn't want to know their purpose? Who doesn't want to be victorious? We even hear, hear sermons now of, of, of teachers saying, hey, the good is in you. And if you, you just let the good out, you've always had this good and you can conquer and you can overcome everything. And all these things are going to work together. And, and we hear that and we want that in our life because who doesn't want to be a victor? Who doesn't want to be a conqueror? But we have to be careful and make sure that we find these things from God and from Scripture and what He's given us and through the Holy Spirit because that's where we're going to find contentment. That's where we're going to find happiness. That's where we're going to find joy. And so Mark, when he writes his book, he gives us a view of something that's totally opposite of what the world's view was, something totally different, something new. And he gives us a glimpse into why Jesus came and what Jesus was all about and what Jesus came to do for us. So today we're going to look in chapter one and we're going to see some things that show us how to live counterculture, how to live for something greater. But before we do that, let's take a moment and just ask God to speak through us through scripture today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful today that we get to come to you and spend some time in scripture. Spend some time hearing what you have to say. And, and I just ask that you would remove distractions. Maybe uh, we're watching this and there's a lot of things going on around us. Lord, give us the, the clarity of mind to hear what you have to say to us today. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who uh, paid the price for our sins, who wants to have a relationship with us. And I just ask that the next few minutes that you would speak plainly and clearly through me. Give me the words to say, help me to say what you want me to say, not what I want to. And we'll give you uh, the praise for what we hear today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at Mark and we're going to jump right in. And right away we're going to see what the book of Mark was all about. So look at Mark 1 and verse number 1 with me. It says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So right away, Mark is giving us good news. See, that's what the word gospel means. It means good news. Mark wrote his book in these little short snippets, these news headlines, and he says, right away, I want to tell you what the news is. It's good because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is the Messiah that the prophets had been speaking about for years and years. This is the one that you've been waiting for. 
And Mark goes on, he says, I'm going to tell you about this guy named John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a wild man. He was the first prophet in over 300 years. And they were excited to hear what he had to say. But there were some unusual things about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was somebody that wore uh, caveman clothes, basically. He wore uh, animal skin. And then he girded his belt. It was made of leather. And he's out in the wilderness. And he's eating wild honey and locust. And uh, some commentaries say, hey, it really could have been the bug and honey's uh, honey that he was eating, the bugs and the honey, and he's just going after it. And so here's this guy, and then he's out preaching this message that says, in the wilderness. Now, if I was out, um, and if you were out trying to get people to hear what we had to say, we probably wouldn't go stand out in the desert and start uh, teaching or start preaching. No, we would go to where the people were, but that was not the case with John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist had people coming to him, and he's drawing a crowd. John the Baptist was preaching and teaching a message that was different than what they'd heard before. See, he was going counterculture. And the first thing that we see is counterculture means surrender. We see that several ways in this chapter. And, and John the Baptist himself demonstrates it. So he's out in the wilderness speaking this message and people are coming to hear it. And look what he says in Mark 1 and verse number 7. He says, he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Here's this prophet out in the wilderness, and crowds are flocking to him. They're coming to him to hear what he has to say. There's disciples of John just following him, following him. And really, John could have said, you know what? I don't need to speak about Jesus because I've got my own crowd. I want to make this about me. But John didn't do that. Instead, he surrendered his pride. See, going counterculture is having the idea of not living life for me. Life isn't about me. John wasn't about me. In fact, he's living a life in the wilderness. He's living a life of uncomfort so that he can tell other people about Jesus. John the Baptist wasn't the only one that modeled this. Jesus modeled it too. And so Mark in his style, man, he's giving just snippets. And so right after John the Baptist, he talks about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus is baptized to give us an example, to show us how we should be baptized and why it's so important. And then immediately after his baptism, look what happens in Mark 1, verse number 12. It says, the Spirit immediately drove him, that's Jesus, out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So much in just these few verses and we find in the other gospels what Jesus endured and how Satan tempted him. But the important thing that we want to see here is that Jesus was submitted to the Spirit. He submitted himself to the Spirit. He allowed the Spirit to lead him into the wilderness. He surrendered his will. And we see that several times in the life of Christ. When he was just a young man, one of the Gospels tells us that he told his mom, do you not know that I have to be about my father's business, referring to God the Father? In the garden before his death, he's praying to his heavenly Father, and he says, not my will done, be done but thine. He was all about surrendering his will. Surrendering just doesn't include our pride. Surrendering just doesn't include our will. It also means that we need to surrender our time. Look at what Jesus did in verse number 35 of Mark chapter 1. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. 
Jesus knew the importance of time with his father, so he was willing to sacrifice his time to get up early in the morning to spend time alone in prayer with the father. Everything was pulling at Jesus. There were so many people that wanted to see Jesus and wanted to talk to him and wanted to be healed by him, and yet Jesus understood that the father had called him to something greater, and so he would separate himself at times to spend time alone with his heavenly father. As we think of surrender, those three things, our pride, our will, and our time, where do we struggle? Are we making life about us? Do we want our name to be made great? Do we want people to recognize what we've done? Or are we willing to surrender our pride and so that other people can see the name of Jesus, other people can see Jesus through us? What about our will? One of our five virtues is celebrating the ideas of others. And so many times in my life that's difficult because I'm very strong-willed and I want to do things my way. And yet constantly Christ is calling me to surrender my will to him. And we can have a strong will and do good things, but are we surrendering our will to the Father? And what about our time? We have such busy schedules uh, that we live now. There's so many things that we do, so many more things, and so many, sometimes we run out of time. Time to give to Jesus. So many times we don't make time for corporate gatherings of worship. We don't make time for church. We don't make time for the Word of God, for Scripture. We don't make time for prayer. Jesus calls us to surrender our time to Him. So, living counterculture has the idea of surrender. But look what else it has. Look in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, this is Jesus again, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. It goes on to say this. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Not only does counterculture have the idea of being surrendered, it also living counterculture means sacrifice. Here's the story of these four disciples. He calls Peter and Andrew and says, I'll make you fishers of men, and immediately they leave everything and follow him. And he goes and talks to James and John, and immediately it says they follow him. They left everything they had to follow him. See, the urgency of Jesus demands a response. It reminds us of the story in 1 Kings chapter number 19. Uh, 1 Kings 19 talks about the prophet Elijah, and Elijah was a great prophet of God. And his ministry is winding down, and so God tells him to go call the next prophet. And so he calls Elisha. And Elijah goes to find Elisha, and he finds him in the field plowing with 11 other guys. And they're using sets of oxen, and they're plowing the field, and Elijah walks up to Elisha, and he takes his mantle, and he throws it on him. Now, this wasn't his fireplace mantle. This was a piece of clothing. It could have been a jacket. It could have been some kind of shawl. It could have been something. But he throws it onto Elisha. You say, what does that mean? It means that this, that Elisha understood what Elijah was doing was he was calling him to be the next prophet. And in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 20, Elisha runs after Elijah and says, I'll follow you. 
What a great story, but the story doesn't end there. See, before he goes, he throws a big barbecue. Now listen, that means Elisha is a man after my own heart. I mean, if you're going to do something big, you need some meat in your stomach. And so he throws a huge barbecue. But listen to the significance of this barbecue. What he cooks at the barbecue is the oxen that he was plowing in the field. And the fire that he uses to cook the oxen is fire from the wood on the, on the yoke and on the plow that he was using. See, Elisha came from probably a wealthy family. The fact that they had him and 11 hired men out uh, uh, plowing the field means that they probably had some money. And here's this farmer, and he says, listen, I'm going to eat the ox, and I'm going to burn the yoke and the plow because I'm giving up everything to follow after you because God's called me to something greater. And he left everything he had. He didn't leave anything behind. He said, I'm going to follow after God's call on my life and I'm going to burn it so I'm not tempted to go back to it. In our life, what's God calling us to sacrifice? Sometimes it's so hard because we want to fall back onto things, but I want to ask us, what's keeping us from following Jesus? Maybe there's some family ties that are keeping them. Maybe there's a job. Maybe there's some habits or addictions. Maybe even there's some passions. But what's keeping us from sacrificing all to follow him? So counterculture, so opposite of what our culture teaches us today. And yet these disciples that followed Jesus in this example of Elisha from the Old Testament, they sacrificed everything to follow after him. There's one last thing this passage teaches us about living a life that's counterculture. Look with me in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 31. It says this, He came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. Now, this story here is the disciples are following after Jesus and Peter gets word that his mother-in-law is sick and so the disciples go to Jesus and let him know. So that's what's going on. Jesus comes to Peter's mother-in-law's house and this is the her in this story. It says the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Here's Peter's mother-in-law sick with a fever. And as soon as Jesus heals her, she gets up and serves. It gives this idea of, of, of counterculture means service. And, and so many times we kind of skip over that or maybe we get this idea, oh yeah, she had to get up so that she could make them all dinner. That's not the point here. She understood that this wasn't about her. This was about Jesus and she wanted to serve him because of how great he was. She knew that he was something greater. The story goes on that Jesus is even healing people and he's casting out demons. The people of the town hear what he's done and so they start coming to Peter's house and he's so busy healing them and casting out the demons. He's meeting their physical needs. But that's not the only thing that Jesus did. In fact, it wasn't even the most important thing that Jesus did. Look what he says to the disciples in verse number 38. He says this, And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Listen, Jesus came to heal the sick and to 
give sight to the blind and to let the lame walk again and to cast out demons. Jesus came to do, out, do all that, but the most important thing that Jesus came to do was to tell him about how he was going to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was all about serving others, but the way that he served them was by giving them the good news of what he had come to do. He had come to give them, them salvation. This week at Mile City, we're handing out gas cards. We're, we're challenging. We have a, some gas cards that we've already bought, and we're challenging our members to take those cards and, and attach some more gift cards to them and to hand them out to people at gas stations, their neighborhood, their work, whoever might be a help. And that's a great thing to do. I love that we're in the community. We're always looking for ways to be in the community and to help the community that we're in because that's important. Jesus helped people all the time. He was always meeting people's physical needs. But gas doesn't get people to heaven. And the reason that we're doing this is not just so we can help people fill out their tank because that's a great thing to do, but in the light of eternity, that's not what's going to make a difference in their life. Why we're doing this is hopefully it'll give us an opportunity to tell people what Jesus has done for them because that's what Jesus had called us, called us to. That's what's important. So many times we forget that God has called us to serve him and the way that we serve him best is by telling others the good news of what Jesus did for them on the cross. Rich Mullins, who's a, a singer-songwriter in the Christian world, once says this. He said, I have attended church regularly since I was less than a week old. I've listened to sermons about virtue, sermons against vice. I have heard about money, time management, tithing, abstinence, and generosity. I've listened to thousands of sermons but I could count on one hand the number of sermons that were a simple proclamation of the gospel of Christ. The Apostle Paul understood this as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, what we want to be about in our lives, what we want to be about as a church of Mile City is we want to tell people about Jesus. Yes, we want to help meet their physical needs. Yes, we want to contribute. Yes, we want to be a presence in the community. But we need to tell people about Jesus because he is what they need to hear. He is what can fix their problems. He is what can heal their hearts. And where can we be more bold in our witness? Who do we need to talk to? Maybe this summer needs to be about you building a relationship with that next door neighbor so that you can share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with them. Maybe it's that person that sits next to you at work. Maybe it's that hard to reach family member. But be encouraged by the Apostle Paul that the power of God is powerful and he can work in people's lives in ways that we could never imagine if we would just be faithful in our service to him. So countercultural, not serving ourselves, but serving him instead. There's one last story in this 
first chapter that I want to touch on today. Look at Mark chapter 1 and verse number 40. It says, A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now, leprosy was a real problem in the day of Christ. This was a skin, to de- a skin disease that would affect um, your, uh, your flesh. It would eat away. Basically, it would eat away your fingers, your toes, your ears, and sometimes even your nose. And eventually, you would just be a rotting flesh and you would die. They would isolate you. They would put you out of where they lived. You'd have to go live in a leper camp. And leprosy was such an incredible picture of sin. See, leprosy is deeper than the skin. It all, not only does that, it, it defiles and isolates. And then it renders things fit only for the fire. And in our life, that's what sin does to us. Sin separates us. It's a heart condition. It separates us from God. And if we don't confess that sin, if we don't turn that sin over to Christ, it results in eternal separation from him in a lake of fire in hell. The reason that we want to live counterculture is because people need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. They need to hear the message that he came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to pay the price for their sin so that they no longer would have to be separated from him. And so today, God's calling us to something greater. Something greater in our surrender. Something greater in our sacrifice. Something greater in our service. As we hear this message, what are we buying into the world's lies with? What are we holding on to? What do we need to surrender? Maybe it's our will. Maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's our time. What things do we need to sacrifice? What do we need to let go? What do we need to get rid of or what do we need to stop holding on to so that we can completely be sold out for Christ? And then, are we being faithful in our service to him? God's called us to be a witness in this world. That's the one job he gave all of us. It doesn't matter who we are. If we claim to be a follower of Christ, we are to tell other people about him. Who are we telling? When was the last time you sat down with somebody and told them what Jesus has done in your life and what Jesus can do in theirs? We make so many excuses as to why we can't do it. And we've got to stop doing that. We've got to quit making life about us and make it all about him. And maybe today, you're sitting there listening to this message and you say, you know what? I've been buying into the lies of the world. I've been looking for peace and happiness and joy and contentment. And it seems like no matter what I try, I can't find it. And can I encourage you, all of us try that? You're not different from anybody else. Everybody's looking for that same thing. All of us want contentment. All of us want happiness. All of us want peace. But the only one that can bring it to us is Jesus Christ. And he loved us so much 
that that sin that we talked about, he gave his life for it. Those things that we do that are contrary to the will of God, Christ paid for that so that we wouldn't have to because that sin breaks that fellowship, that relationship that we have with God. And today, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today could be that day. He doesn't make our life easier. He makes our life better. And the reason that I'm here talking to you today is because of what Jesus has done in my life. And I've seen him be faithful time and time again in my life to where he's the only one that can bring me contentment. And today, if that's your desire, if you're tired of living what, the way the world wants us to, if you want something greater in your life, just take a minute and say something like this. Say, God, I confess my sins to you. Jesus, I want to thank you for dying and for rising from the dead for my sins so that I could have a relationship with you. And I want to set aside my pride. And today, the best I know how, I give my life to you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, that's the greatest decision that you'll ever make. And that prayer is not what saved you. It's the condition of your heart. If in your heart you're saying, yeah, I'm tired of following after sin and I want to follow after Jesus Christ, man, we want to celebrate with you. And so if you'll just do me a favor, you're going to see a number on the screen. If you'll just text the word Mile City to that number, myself or one of our staff members will follow up with you this week. We'd love to have a conversation. We'd love to answer any questions that you might have. More importantly, we just want to encourage you and pray with you.